Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. All right, Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. This is such a pleasure. And um, just before we get started, I'm going to just mention why I invited you to come onto the show. And it's really because I had the luxury of working with you years and years ago in the same consulting firm. And it was just so neat because people would say to me as I was kind of new to the organization, oh, it looks like you're going to be the next Kim. <laughs> and so it's such a, such a neat thing because I, um, I've just had the chance to work with you and I look up to you so much. It was just so such a compliment. I remember early in my career, it being such a compliment for people to say that they could picture me filling the shoes one day <laughs> of Kim Carlin. So it, it just made sense to have you on the Best Boss Ever show and hear a bit about your perspective on different bosses that you've worked with in the consulting world different bosses that you've worked for, just some of your perspectives on leadership, given now that you're in a leadership capacity yourself. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Christine. I'm excited. So maybe just to start, do you want to give a little bit of context around kind of your career and how you've seen leadership unfold? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you know, I've had a long career in management consulting. I started um, my career in a small boutique firm uh, right out of my MBA. So I was pretty new to the world of management at that time. I accelerated through the ranks over the course of kind of the first five, eight years, moved my way up to a managing partner in the firm and ultimately was responsible for global business development. So I reported into uh, one of the founding partners, uh, had a team of people working for me, as well as had the luxury of working in over 200 businesses all over the world in virtually every different industry. So that has been a really great experience. And then most recently, I sort of transitioned out of my consulting career, uh, moved over to the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto, where I've been working there um, on executive coaching, uh, teaching a leadership development curriculum to executive MBA students. And that's, again, been a really fascinating experience working with that sort of cohort of people, uh, sort of future emerging leaders. And then most recently, I've taken a leadership uh, position with CIBC. So I'm going to be supporting them with a transformation effort um, over the next five years. So that's like a little bit of background to me. I have an undergraduate degree in sociology, an MBA in strategy, and a PhD where I focused exclusively on leadership development and in particular female executive leaders, which is kind of an important part of, you know, of interest for me. Right. An important niche. So, so then given that, you know, when we talk about that whole idea of best boss ever, you know, I'm kind of curious in your work experience, you probably had, you know, the experience of working for, <laughs> let's say a best boss, but also I know you worked in that small boutique firm for a long time. So, you know, what, what was your perspective on some of the leadership that you observed there in the culture? Yeah, that's a, that's a terrific question. So, you know, I think, you know, growing up in consulting is, is a little bit of a unique background from a leadership standpoint. So consulting by its very nature 
is extraordinarily competitive. And I think our firm wasn't, uh, you know, different in that regard. You know, we had a culture, you know, very heavily male dominated in the early days of the firm. I was the only woman in the firm. A lot of folks that had come from uh, competitive sports environments. So it was like this, you know, real highly competitive sort of jock masculine type of culture. I would almost say that the leadership style was punitive in nature. So there was a bit of a fear, um, you know, results were everything. Um, you could go from hero to zero really quickly. So I would actually, you know, if I was to be extraordinarily candid, probably suggest that, you know, what I learned about leadership from within my organization was the type of leader I didn't want to be. So the fact that I felt that there were gaps in, in terms of how I was treated, um, in terms of the way that I was ultimately respected. And, you know, that I think that was you know, sort of a big learning for me was, you know, to be different in my own leadership style, to be more true to myself, which would have been, you know, more interested in engagement, more interested in knowing my staff, more interested in letting them be creative, take risks, et cetera, than the way I was actually managed. So I think that that's kind of an interesting background in terms of, you know, my experience with my own personal boss. Uh, certainly over my career in consulting, I worked in lots of environments with clients that I would say were great representations of best bosses, people that, you know, really took a genuine interest in their staff, really had true engagement from their staff. And even my experience at Rotman over the course of the last three years would have, you know, I had a leader there that, you know, she was extraordinarily results focused as well, you know, very strong personality type, but valued inclusivity, valued everyone having a voice at the table, you know, very much was about us being creative, taking risks, creating a culture where risk taking was rewarded and succeed or fail, it was really about learning. And I felt that that was quite different from, you know, call it my 15 year history in consulting. It was actually quite refreshing. You know, so I, I think that my own leadership style has really been developed from this, you know, sort of unique facet of different kinds of leaders that I've, that I've had experience with over the course of my career. And I mean, when you think of, so can you give me some examples? Like when you think of that experience with your leader at Rotman, when you talk about risk-taking being rewarded, can you just t share a little more detail about what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, part of my responsibility there was developing programs and curriculum to support our executive MBA programs. And in fact, the program that I was working in was a brand new program for uh, executives in the health and life science sector. So, you know, we were kind of inventing the program. The thinking was, is that most of these folks that were in the program were already pretty advanced in their careers. So they would already be pretty established leaders. So, you know, one of the things that we found out pretty quickly was that, you know, some of the deficiencies, even from these people that on the outside would look to be highly successful, highly accomplished, you know, were the same as any leader that we're, you know, dealing with, like lots of issues around confidence, lots of issues around personal brand, lots of issues around how to network and, and how to strategically align yourself within your organization. So, you know, my boss in particular there really encouraged me to, you know, develop sort of this kind of unique programming set that was kind of different from the more traditional management um, structure, the more like framework, 
um, academic scholarly research. So I used a lot of the work that I had done from consulting, what I learned about effective leadership style, about relationship developing from my consulting background versus the more academic slant to really help build this programming, which was quite unique actually in the Rotman experience. You know, very good outcomes. You know, we had like, you know, really great feedback from the students. I think that it was highly successful. And, you know, even in my absence, I have uh, a number of people reaching out to me to find out more about those programs and how they can uh, continue with the momentum that I generated from that. So I would say that was something that deviated from kind of the straight and narrow of a typical academic environment. And we took a slightly different slant and she was very encouraging of me trying this new type of, uh, of learning environment, which was, was very successful. Can you think of a specific example from your consulting days where the leadership felt excluding? Like, you know, we're talking, I want to talk a little bit about inclusion versus exclusion and like how, how does that actually show up in leadership behavior? So we're busy these days, everything's about diversity and inclusion. And I, I just find that it shows up in certain leadership qualities, like the feeling of being excluded or included. I want to hear, you know, what are your examples that you can think of the difference for you about feeling included versus excluded? I think that, you know, some of the worst examples of exclusion were the, you know, sort of the public chastising and sort of the public, um, like the boss that I had was not stopped short of publicly chastising you in front of a group, right? So, you know, the, the fear of that like, you know, if you're sort of sitting around a boardroom table with a group of people, you kind of hoped you weren't the one that was picked on. But sort of that public chastising was one that certainly was alive and well. Um, You know, it was unrelenting. So there was at times when, you know, like he wouldn't let things go in terms of, you know, sort of these public outcries (laughs) of, you know, times when you perhaps made a mistake. And, And I'm like in my leadership practice now, when I'm talking to leaders and talking to my own staff, I mean, it's really important for you to actually try something and and fail. And if you fail, like assuming it's not catastrophic, like the most important experience is what you learn from that. So what I feel from sort of those public events being chastised is it meant that we were a very risk adverse culture. And it was if the idea wasn't invented by the founding partners or the most senior members of the team, it wasn't well received. So as a result of that, I think we became very myopic um, in our development. So we didn't, we didn't have the level of creativity that you'd see in organizations the same level. Like, so now that I've actually been outside of that environment, when I see the innovation, creativity, and how other organizations have moved along the continuum of change, and I look back and see how relatively stagnant we were from a methodology, performance, and outcome standpoint. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that people were fearful. Uh, I guess I can't say other people, but people like me were fearful of truly changing status quo because of you know this fear of, of, of being publicly ridiculed uh, in many ways. Well, and that, you know, I mean, one of the things I keep noticing when I'm talking to people about the best boss ever is you learn a lot about the conversation ends up becoming a scale of what are the worst things that, you know, not worst boss ever, but maybe the worst practices ever versus the best boss ever practices. And so you end up learning a lot about kind of the polarizing of those two. So, I mean, again, if you're fearful about putting innovative, creative 
solutions on the table, you know, and we hear that as part of the kind of cultural norm, the opposite of that, again, is going to be, you know, here you are in an environment where somebody is really challenging and inviting that to the table. And they're saying, you know, I want those creative ideas. I want you to take a risk. I want you to fail. I'm going to applaud your failures when you do. And for you, you're really seeing the difference between those two. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And, you know, as you know, Christine, like consulting it's a competitive environment. It's often an eat what you kill type of environment. So rather than working in a collaborative fashion, what was encouraged in our environment was to be, you know, very highly competitive with each other. So as a result of that, we didn't have the cohesion of teamwork. So the sort of like public ridicule, the highly competitive environment, the, you know, real cutthroat environment, what that did to us was, you know, make us, not working, I believe, as strongly as a synergistic team as we could have, which I, I believe now, again, with hindsight being 2020, just has better business outcomes, better superior outcomes, and, and better engagement. Uh, I mean, I stayed in this environment. Many people do stay in this environment, but I think we start to become more like those leaders um, and less like our true selves, which is problematic. And I probably, you know, if I really dig deep, but like, I wasn't the kind of person I wanted to be when I was there. And I'm, I'm glad that I've had the ability to be able to recognize that in myself and, and pivot a little bit. And then I have one last question for you, maybe a very sure. personal question. Um, you're in a same-sex marriage or same-sex relationship. And I just want to know, you know, you obviously have interacted with so many different people in the business world and I just know from, you know, our conversations offside about the fact that in certain environments, you know, people would know that about you and in other environments, you would hold back a little bit, you know, about your personal life. What is it about great leaders in general that would make you feel safe to kind of share your full authentic self versus others? I'm just curious. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, also a great question. Um, and kind of one that I reflect on a lot. Obviously, over the course of my career, it's been two decades. So things so just society has changed and acceptance around um, same sex relationships has changed. So there's a, an open more openness to it today than there probably was when I started my career. I think that in general, the people that Again, it's the same people that encourage this inclusivity that all voices are at the table are the people that you can truly, the leaders that you can truly be your authentic self with. So if you're hiding an aspect of yourself, um, obviously gender, obviously race or disability perhaps are, are more visible than your sexual orientation. But if you're not able to bring your whole self to the table, then you're limited in your ability, I believe, to be creative, innovative, and, and to be engaged. Now, Interest, the interesting dichotomy to some of the things that I said around this highly competitive culture would make you think that that was one at which I would have been somewhat stifled in my sexual orientation. I would actually say it was quite the opposite. Um, I was always encouraged to be true to who I was within the parameters of our business. But as I mentioned earlier in my career, a large portion of my role was in a selling capacity, which meant that I was traveling around the world um, selling consulting services. And, you know, in a sales relationship, you're, you know, whether right or wrong, you're at the mercy of a client's decision on if they like you or not. People buy from individuals they like. And 
I was very careful and very guarded to be very honest with, to, to be dishonest with who I was. I often played the gender game, um, talked about my partner, you know, I like actually would say husband versus a partner, you know, certainly wasn't true to myself, but a big part of that is really in sort of the recognition that environment, different environments, you don't know what their feelings are around sexual orientation. So uh, I think that in places that we went that would be more progressive, that would have policies around that, say financial service firms or maybe large healthcare institutions, you know, where, uh, you know, people, there were, there was prescribed policies around, you know, being open and, and diverse, but in many environments, you know, I wasn't being true to who I was. Um, and I think it's a bit of the nature of the type of work that I did. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's right or wrong, never was endorsed by the organization I worked for, but right. it was sort of self-imposed. But I'll tell you, Christine, now, again, being on the other side of this, being in an environment that's very highly supportive of people being completely true to themselves, whatever their background is, it's just liberating and feels a lot easier just to go to work and not have to worry and look over my shoulder or play the the gender pronoun game, which is just not fair to me or my partner. Right. Well, and I know just from having worked for that firm and having two leaders that were in same-sex relationships, like it... I always found it very refreshing because I felt like the leadership there, I just appreciated the diversity of leadership. Like I appreciated the fact you were the only female in the leadership uh, team. And I guess that, that helped me feel like there was an opportunity for me in the future. But I also just appreciated the fact that not everybody was cut from the exact same cloth. So like you said, that was one of the, the good news parts of that culture is that it did seem like they were inclusive on that front. For me, it just felt like I felt it, it gave the perception of the fact that you would, you would be accepted, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, kind of regardless. So even if it was, you know, competitive and it had its own kind of very specific cultural nature, just seeing some diversity in the actual people who were at the table to me always made me feel a little safer. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And I mean, I know you and I are big proponents of having role models um, that we can look up to in organizations. I think that that's critically important. So I think that was always something that I felt a, like a strong, important burden on, not a burden in a negative way, but that it was important for me to represent myself appropriately as a female, as you know, someone who is gay. And you know, certainly as an executive at the table, either in my job now or in other organizations that I've been part of, I think that you know, it's important for me to represent myself appropriately because I do recognize that people will be looking up to me and looking to you know, be, I don't want to say be like me, but certainly see a, a positive representation of someone from, from those types of communities. Absolutely. And I mean, now you have the opportunity now to make other people see that it's possible and that they can be fully who they are without having to, like you said, you know, edit their commentary or hold back a piece of who they are. Or, you know, if, if you're at a dinner table with a bunch of clients, you know, not having to feel like you have to edit something about your personal life just to fit in, That's right. you know, you have the opportunity to set that stage where you kind of, like you said, you, you experienced your own editing <laughs> along the way. That's right. Yeah, that's right. There, there weren't a lot of role models for me 20 years ago. Lots of, lots of trailblazers, like, you know, were blazing paths in other industries. 
in our small firm, that wasn't the case. But, you know, I'm proud to say that, you know, I was and certainly you were, you know, part of the the trailblazing female group in that organization. And I think we've got a lot to be proud of. Absolutely. And I mean, I wonder too, you know, just when I reflect on what you're talking about, when I think of inclusion and kind of how competitive that environment was, I wonder if the intense competitiveness about making sure that you always won the deal was part of what made you insecure about or made you uh, feel like you needed to edit some parts. Because like you said, that that piece of just, you know, you didn't want to risk the deal over you yeah. being authentic. Yeah, I, I think I think that's absolutely it, right? And And like I said, no one ever told me to do that. I was never right. forced to do that. But th- that intense competitiveness, you know, the entire reward and compensation structure was, you know, predicated on you selling at all costs. Um, so therefore, you know, you did, you did everything, the good salespeople did everything they could to put their best foot forward. And I made a judgment call that that's what it would required for me. I'll give people the benefit of the doubt that perhaps there was lots of environments I didn't need to do that. Right. Um, but, you know, frankly, I felt I did. And I had a very successful track record. I, I don't think it had anything to do with my sexual orientation one way or the other. I hope it had to do with my skill, but um, it wasn't a risk that I, at least at that stage, I was willing to take right now, you know, different, but that's. Well, let's hope that the, you know, eventually the day be- comes when putting your best foot forward is that you can completely share all of those things and be, that's you right. know, it, that is your best foot forward. So, um, but I completely understand what you're saying. Cause a lot has shifted in 20 years around the perceptions and beliefs around this. So thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably. Those are, you know, like I said, I knew I was going to challenge you with some tough questions. So <laughs> I, I, love, I wouldn't expect anything less. Christine. That's right. I love the fact that you, uh, you know, you let me go there and ask those questions. And I do think people are going to get some great value out of hearing your stories and how, you know, kind of how your journey has unfolded and how you've learned about what that best boss ever looks like for you now that you move forward. Thanks. Thanks. Been, been fun being here. Thanks. Thank you so much. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.